I don't know what you uh, do with sermon input throughout the week. I, I know that some of you contact me uh, from time to time through the week, and I know that sermon thoughts are percolating. Some of you Facebook, or I see it in other places, that, that the Word of God that's shared on a Sunday morning percolates in your life a little bit throughout the week. I, I guess in my own little utopia, right, my prayer is, is that, or my thought is, is that you go home on a Sunday and, uh, and then Sunday night and Monday night and Tuesday night and Wednesday night, you, you pour into the text that was preached, right? And, and, and you read it, and, and then you can't stop there, so you, you, you've now read Colossians at least 15 times uh, through from beginning to end, right, in the reality of that. And, and that you, on Saturday night, it's like it's hard to go to sleep because you're so anxious to hear what, what's going to be said from the pulpit about that thing. Now, if that's not true, don't ruin my world, right? <laughs> Just play, play along. One of my recurring headaches in preparing from week to week, especially when we study these heavy texts from the Apostle Paul, is that we couldn't have possibly digested the depth of the meaning of the text from last week. And here we go, moving on to this week, right? It's like we could uh, probably, uh, my confession would be, is, is spend an entire year, 52 weeks, on last week's text, and still it wouldn't have gotten through my thick head, and I still wouldn't have been able to communicate it directly to you. And, and yet now, we've studied it one week and now we're moving on uh, to another text that is equally as heavy and equally as complex in our understanding. But I do trust this, in the Spirit of God, that, that He will give us what we need and make us hungry for more, right? My conviction is that even as we preach this text uh, this week, as we preach the text last week, that God will give you what it is that you need in this moment, in the journey that you are on in doing it. So we don't have to get to every truth in the text, but it is my responsibility from week to week to mine into the text, to bring about something that I feel like God has given me, that the Holy Spirit has placed on my heart with regard to sharing with you. So we're not going to, as we go through this text, turn every corner, solve every huge question in your mind, but I do think there is a major question that God helps us to address even in our text this morning. So listen, I want you to hear again the amazing gospel truth from, from last week as we head into this week, because they're intricately connected. Now, I know you've, you've, uh, you've sat on this all week, right? And so I, I'm just reminding you what you already know. But let me remind you what last week was about, right? We saw the amazing bigness of God contrasted with the amazing smallness of us, and then this amazing miracle of how God and His bigness has come to the smallness of us through Christ and has reconciled us to Himself. I mean, it was an amazing reality of the gospel that he's come to our smallness to, to bring us closer to himself through Christ's death and resurrection. Then at the end of the text last week, we really didn't talk about it. Paul says that it is under this message, this truth, this gospel, Paul says that he became a minister. Colossians chapter 1, verse 23. And I just have to tell you that I don't like that translation in the ESV or the New King James, for that matter, uh, or the King James, some of you. <laughs> Hold on. I, I don't like the word minister. Why? Because in your context, what do you think of Paul at that point? Well, he's paid to do that, right? 
Because that's what I pay my minister to do, right? And so there's some escalation of his calling and his role that is higher than it ought. And that's not what the text says. In fact, you're going to learn a lot of Greek this morning. You ready for Greek this morning? The Greek word there is diakonos, which we get the word deacon, which means servant. So hear this. Paul isn't saying, listen, this great gospel has made me now a steward to be a minister. That means I I went to seminary, God ordained, and now I'm paid to do this. What he's saying is this great gospel has made me a servant of the gospel. And listen, that, that doesn't only directly apply to the people who get paid to do it. It applies, you ready, to you. That this minister of the gospel is a servant of the gospel. This leads to the question, since it now involves you and not just me, uh, that we learn in our text this morning what Paul thinks is the goal or the aim of the servant of the gospel with regard to the gospel. So the Apostle Paul, right? I won't ask you the questions this morning. I'll tell you the answers. The Apostle Paul writes to the church of Colossae to think about how he makes makes much of Jesus by being a servant of the gospel. So turn with me, if you will, to Colossians chapter 1, verse 24, and we'll read through to Colossians chapter 2, verse 5. As we read, realize that as we around every corner of these verses, there are once again deep truths, deep challenges that we're going to mine down through to get to the point of what it means to be in the servant of the gospel. And I think it would be good this morning as we read the text to keep in mind, to keep in our hearts, this prayer that Paul prays that we, for the church that, that we might know the depth of the fullness of Christ even as we come to His Word. Colossians chapter 1, verse 24. It's page 983 of your pew Bibles if you don't have your Bibles out already. Colossians chapter 1, verse 24. Hear the very word of God. Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is the church, of which I became a servant according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you to make the word of God fully known. The mystery, hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints, To them, God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he, being Christ, powerfully works within me. For I want you to know How great a struggle I have for you and for those at Laodicea and for all who have not seen me face to face, that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love, to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I say this in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments, for though I am absent in body, yet I am with you in spirit, Rejoicing to see your good order and the firmness of your faith in Christ. Wow. You ready for that? Here it is. We're going to mine through it. I'm going to give you uh, the reality to the answer of our question. What does it mean 
to be a servant of the gospel. I think that's what Paul is asking. I think that's what he's sharing and, 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 and sharing with the church at Colossae. What does it mean to be a servant of the gospel? Our first point this morning is really the answer to that question. I'll call it the goal. Uh, the, the goal of the church in being a servant of the gospel. Here's what I see. That when we mine through this text, that the base root of Paul with regard to being a servant of the gospel is this. Presenting everyone mature in Christ. Let me quickly help you to know how I got in the midst of all of that to that point. That, that here's the goal. Here's the treasure of the church. That we would present everyone mature in Christ. If you go back to verse 28, if you find verse 28 in your text, if it's still open in front of you, it says him. And we have this fun little game now at Covenant Church, right? Who, who is him? It's Jesus. That's always a good answer in church, right? That, that is true. The antecedent, right, Aaron? Right? Yeah. The antecedent is just back in verse 27 when he talks about which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. That's who him is. Now, there's amazing stuff just in him. <laughs> right? I had a teacher once that he would spend hours on one word. You could spend an hour on him, right? We're not going to do that this morning, right? But you need to understand that this is referring to Christ who is the hope of glory, who is the very one who makes this great gospel uh, possible for us. Him, he says, we proclaim. We, we, we talk about. And how do we talk about him? We, we're warning everyone and we're teaching everyone with all wisdom. And then there's this cool little Greek word that shows up after wisdom. It's hina. Say it with me. Hina. Ah, it's cool. It is an amazing little word that has so much power, especially in the Pauline epistles. It means in order that. And the reason it's so important in Pauline epistles is because, as we've talked about, Paul runs on and on and on and on and on, and he goes in these circular arguments. He's all over the place. But eventually, he gets to a hina. And when he gets to the hina, he goes, in order that. And you should pay attention to that moment because it's like, here's the point, right? All of this circular argument is leading to this point. And here's our hina. Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom. Why? In order that we may present everyone mature in Christ. There it is. That's why he's writing this. That's why you're called as a church to be a servant of the gospel. That we would present everyone mature in Christ. And then Paul lovingly puts an exclamation point on the end of this in verse 29. He says, For this I toil. For this I toil. And, and toil here is, a, is a, a word that means struggle. In fact, he, he doubles up on it. He says, This I toil, struggling, which is in the Greek is agonizimo, which we get our word agony from. Right? Now, Serving Christ is not agony, but understand the depth of the struggle that Paul is in. For this, to make everyone present, everyone uh, pre present everyone mature in Christ, for this I toil, I struggle, I even agonize with what? With all his energy that he powerfully works within me. Whew. Rick's standardized version this morning, right? maybe to help us, says this, I come to the end of myself, I come to the end of myself depending fully on the power of Christ to proclaim Christ so that everyone will come to a point of completeness in Christ. Hear that? I think that's Paul's point. That's his answer 
to the reality of what we are to be as the servants of the Word of God. Come to the end of myself, depending fully on the power of Christ to proclaim Christ so that everyone will come to a point of completeness or maturity in Christ. I thank God for casting crowns because they actually put this into a song. You might be familiar with the song if you're a K-Love listener. Casting Crowns and Matthew West have a song called Nobody. It says this, because I'm just a nobody trying to tell everybody all about somebody who saved my soul. Like that? I'm just a nobody trying to tell everybody about somebody who saved my soul. They go on, ever since you rescued me, you gave my heart a song to sing, and I'm living for the world to see nobody but Jesus. I think Paul stole them from their lyrics, right? No, really, I think uh, Casting Crown reads Colossians 1 and gets to that point. What does it mean? Here's the goal of what it means to be a servant of the gospel. That's it. That I'm a nobody trying to tell everybody about somebody who saved my soul. So maturity, maturity in Christ becomes this goal. What does maturity look like? That's a $64,000 question, right? Especially in our culture, right? What does maturity look like? Well, what does spiritual maturity look like? If Paul says, hey, here's the goal to make everyone complete, to make everyone present, everyone mature in Christ, what does maturity look like? Well, I, I thank Paul because I think he gives us an answer here in this text. The beginning of chapter 2, he tells us three things that I think in his mind defined maturity. And they're all worth a sermon series. We're going to go very quickly. Look in verses 1 and 2 um, as he struggles for the church to see three things. And, and here's his definition of maturity. That their hearts are encouraged. That their hearts are encouraged. Here's another Greek word. I don't often use all this Greek, but Greek is just so much fun this week. You ready? Parakaleo. And some of you Greek scholars know that parakaleo is off of a word paraclete, which often refers to whom? The Holy Spirit. Thank you. Absolutely. So a paraclete is one who comes alongside. And so here it is. Paul is saying, listen, one of the ways that we know that you are mature, that you are becoming complete in Christ, is that your hearts are encouraged. That that it, it is as if Christ has come alongside your heart. And you have surrendered your heart to him, and your heart is becoming more and more like him. It's not just that I'm feeling good today. That's often how we Americans think of encouraged, right? No, this is something much deeper. This is a reality that, that Christ has come alongside, that maturity looks like when, when our hearts actually start feeling and responding in a way that Christ's heart would. Right? That's a place of maturity. Paracleto. When Christ's heart becomes our heart. So that's the first one. The second is this, that we're being knit together in love. The mature heart is intricately woven to the heart of God and therefore intricately woven to the heart of others. That as he has loved us, says 1 John, we ought to love others. So what's a way in which we can measure and see, define maturity or completeness? Well, it's when our hearts become like Christ and that therefore then we love like Christ. 
We're knit together in love. And then this last one, to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ. That's a lot of words by Paul to say it's just an understanding and trust that Jesus will never let us go. I I want you to hear out of all of those words in there the word assurance. To reach all the riches... Here's maturity of full assurance that we know that we know that we know that no matter what we go through, no matter what struggle we are in, no matter what journey we have taken, that we have this full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is that Christ is with us and that his promises are true and good and that he is good to his promises, that he will never leave us. Listen, even when we attempt to run from him, I won't ask you to raise your hand, but how many of you have attempted to run from him, right? That when we attempt to run from him, that he is complete in his wisdom and understanding of us, that he never stops loving us, and there is this full assurance that he will never leave us, and there is that day in which we will recognize that and return to him as he has never left us. So three things that I think Paul gives us as definition of what Maturity or completeness in Christ looks like that our hearts are encouraged, knit together in love, to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ. Paul, I think, provides himself as exhibit one to what this looks like, right? Because those are three principles. Those are easy to take notes on and go, hmm, wonder what that means in my life. But here, some of us, like me, with simple minds, need a picture of it, right? And I think Paul in this text actually intentionally provides that picture. If we go back to verse 24, Paul says something absolutely astounding. And I don't know if you caught it as we walked through it quickly, but he says this in verse 24. Now, I rejoice in my sufferings. Now, take your Sunday mind that says, man... Does this guy know that we have a congregational meeting and a dinner and i got to get home by such and such time? Take that mind off and, and begin to focus on what Paul says. I rejoice in my sufferings. How do you do that? Well, I'll tell you. When Christ's heart becomes parakaleo to your heart, Right? And that you become knit together in his love. That you would have a full assurance of that love. That even then, when struggles come, when suffering comes, you might rejoice. Do you know what Paul suffered? 2 Corinthians Chapter 11, uh, verses 24 through 28, tells us that suffering. Paul says, Five times I received at the hands of the Jews the forty lashes, less one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea. On frequent journeys in danger from rivers, dangers from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers, in toil and hardship, through many a sleepless night, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure. In that suffering, Paul says, I rejoice. Why? How can he possibly say that? 
Because God, by His Spirit, is coming alongside His heart that His heart would be Paul's heart. That he would be knit together in love with many who would help him through that process, but more than anything, the love of Christ that would help him through that process. And that he might know that he knows that he knows that he knows to the very tips of his toes that God's promises are true and that he'll never leave him or forsake him. Exhibit one, the Apostle Paul, as he says, I rejoice, I rejoice in my sufferings. Paul's not perfect. Got that? But he begins to give us a sight of what he prays for us to be. So the obvious question might be out of all of this this morning is how are you doing in your maturity? (laughs) How are you doing in your completeness in Christ? Because logically we know that we cannot help someone else in their maturity unless we are traveling that road ourselves. But as good as that question would be and as easy as that question would be to preach to you as individuals, I want us to get our minds around something that when Paul writes these letters, he's not writing to you as an individual. He's writing to you all as the church, right? So in American culture, we tend to read the Bible, and every time we see you, we think he's talking to me, right? But oftentimes, especially in these letters to the church, he's talking about the church. So I have good news and better news, right? The good news is he's not talking directly to you. Man, that's really... Hoping that was the case, because I'm not sure I could live up to that. Oh, wait, 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 wait. Better news, he's talking to you all, which you are part of, right? But I think he's asking the Colossae Church, as he would ask Covenant Church, Covenant Church, what are you doing to present people mature in Christ? We've taken a significant vow this morning uh, to Andrew and Skye, with regard to that very thing. I don't know if you, you know, Bruce, you are so charismatic in your yes. And, and, and I'm so glad because your heart is pure in doing so. I, some of you were like, because I prompted you to be uh, presbycostal in doing it. But do you, let me read again what you promised these two, right? You, you said that we, the members of Covenant Church, will take responsibility for the continued nurture of them, promising to set a godly example by our lives and to pray for them in their life of faith. Holy cow. We said, what? Right? Like, we're, we're going to pray for them often. We're going to go to Young Life meetings and like, have whipped creams spread across our faces so that others like Sky and Andrew might come to faith in Christ. Right? What are we going to do to invest in their lives? We promised this morning that as a church, we were going to be responsible for their completeness in Christ. Holy cow. That's an amazing step of maturity. Congratulations, Covenant Church. Here's the question. Will we do that? Most of our leaders have read a book in 2019 called Simple Church. In it, there's a definition of what we ought to be as a church, and it's inspired by our text today as well as others. It says this. As a church, we are designed around a straightforward and strategic process that moves people through the stages of spiritual growth. We can think about what the church is supposed to be in lots of different terms. 
But I think this is what Colossians 1 is telling us as a church that we ought to be. A church that is designed around a straightforward and strategic process that moves people through the stages of spiritual growth. Crazy statement. Are you ready for a crazy statement this morning? I've made a lot. I'm going to make one more. You ready for this? The goal of the church is not to see people get saved. You all right? The goal of the church is not to see people get saved. Their conversion is but a step on the path to maturity in Jesus that sees others get saved and begin a journey of maturity. So we don't say to Andrew and Skye this morning, oh good, we got you there. Oh, you're on your own. Let's go find somebody else. That's not what this says. You know what it says is that praise God for the step in which they've come. Now this real work starts. That we might assist them, that we might journey with them, that we might journey with one another, that our hearts would be tied to the heart of Christ, that we would be knit in love to one another in such a way that the world would know the love of Christ and that we would have a full assurance that his promises are true. Let me personalize that. You ready for this? Your conversion was not the goal of Jesus. He didn't go when you got saved. Oh, good. Got that one done. Whew. Let's go for the next one, right? Who, who's going to be next? No, 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 no. The, the goal of Jesus was to see you in the steps of maturity and faith. To come to completeness in Christ. Covenant Church, how are we doing at that? Because this is the goal. This is the goal of being a servant of the gospel. This is our job as a church. Well, it leads to this question. How do we get there? How do we get there? Well, we've had two instances where we've seen uh, in the text already uh, some hints as to how we get there. In verse 29 um, of Colossians chapter 1, Paul says, For this I toil, struggling with all his energy, Christ's energy, that he, Christ, powerfully works within me. Listen, we don't do that by lifting ourselves up by the bootstraps. We do that by the power of Christ in us. So we need to pray, as Paul prayed for the church, that uh, we would know the knowledge of His will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding so that we might walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to Him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. That prayer will allow Him to uh, indeed uh, support and encourage and inspire and empower us to be what we ought to be as servants of the gospel of Christ. So the power of Christ is how we get there. Secondly, we get there together. Reminder that Paul here is not talking to individuals, but he's talking to the church. Uh, we're not there, <laughs> but, but we will only get there together. Listen, if you're, if you're trusting this new amazing pastor that you've now had for almost two years to get you there, you are sadly misguided. Right? We'll get there together. We'll get there together. I'll give you a practical way that you might get there with us. Dan Zippai and I are now currently a uh, team of two uh, to talk about maturity in Christ at Covenant Church and how we disciple people on this very journey. And, and, and sometimes we're limited in who we approach to be on those teams, but I'm, I'm going to do a dangerous thing this morning. If that's a team you'd love to serve on to see how this happens at Covenant Church... Come talk to me or Dan. Call me or Dan. 
And as we begin to work, because I, I really believe this, that in the year 2020, this needs to become our focus. 2019, we rewrote a vision, a mission for this church. We're doing amazing things to see that happen. It's not that that goes away. But listen, I really believe at the very depths of my soul that God is not going to bring revival and renewal to Covenant Church unless we're prepared to walk with them in maturity in Christ. And so that becomes the new goal for 2020. If I get to be cool just like everybody else, that's my 2020 vision. Yeah. So the, the power of Christ, and we need to do it together. The, the third is this, and it's the theme of this entire book. You know how we get there? We get there by making much of Jesus. That's how we get there. Paul says in verse 25 that we are to make the word of God fully known. And in verse 27, he brings definition to that which, when he says, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. How do we journey with people? How do we journey as a church in order to help them know their goal in maturity in Christ is by making much of Jesus. Does that mean I've got to become a monk or a preacher or a theologian or missionary? No. It just means that in every aspect of your life, the job you go to every day, the neighborhood that you live in, the school that you go to, that you make much of Jesus, who is the hope of glory in you. Do that. And we'll see together with the power of Christ, Covenant Church meeting its goal, not just to see people saved and baptized, but to see people journeying in maturity in their faith in Christ. Many of you have um, received a letter this week from your director of student ministries uh, and family, uh, Jeff Newell, who's been up here this morning, uh, telling us that at the end of April, Jeff is uh, leaving us and next fall we'll be going on to seminary. Um, and we all have all kinds of emotions about that. Happy for Jeff, sad for us. What's going to happen? We'll talk about that at the congregational meeting, so hang on, right? But the reason I bring Jeff up this morning as I close is because, um, not glibly and, and not just because this is the day that we announce this, but because it's true, that if there is one who makes much of Jesus in his life, it's this guy. He does. Uh, he will tell you his number one spiritual gift is presence. <laughs> right? He just likes to show up. But I'll tell you this, when he shows up, he shows up making much of Jesus. So if, if you need exhibit two of what it is to journey towards maturity and faith in Christ, not to look at Jeff Newell, but look at Jesus and Jeff. Right? As one who makes much of Jesus. That's our goal. That's our deal. That's what this text says. And I would challenge you that as we take the next few months to celebrate his ministry and to celebrate him and his presence here, that we would learn from him as well. It's not too late. We're going to keep him around for a few more months. That together we might learn what it is to make much of Jesus and that in making much of Jesus, we as a church begin 
to help one another in the Spirit of God to meet the goal that Paul sets for us, but even more so the Spirit of God sets for us. Right? That we would move towards maturity in Christ. Amen?